0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, right alongside John Tesh. John, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm, I'm very excited about your interview today. Uh, I, so, to Speaking
0: of, our guest this week is Porter Braswell. He is the founder and CEO of Jopwell. That's J-O-P-W-E-L-L. Uh, it's a career advancement platform for black, Latinx, and Native American students and professionals. And what they do is they help bridge the gap between uh, companies that have diversity hiring mandates and finding qualified candidates that meet all of the diversity hiring criteria. He is he is legit. He has created this online platform that that helps do that. He's uh, he used to work the currency desk at Goldman Sachs. So he's a, he's a real he's a real deal. Uh, and this is and, and he's going to talk about all kinds of things, including why diversity hiring is important, not just from a social standpoint, but most importantly, why diversity hiring is really important from a business bottom line standpoint and that corporations have no choice but to listen to.
1: I you know, this is amazing that nobody has come up with this and, and it's it's a startup. So it's basically like yeah. Apple, Apple. <laughs> yeah, but he's
0: a he's a big deal startup. So they went through and he'll talk about this Y Combinator. Yeah. Which is yeah. Uh, which is if you don't know anything about about business accelerators, Y Combinator is like it's it's the Harvard of business accelerators. Yeah. It means his yeah. business idea was one of, you know, one of the like the top one percent
1: of one percent
0: of, right, of right. the best uh, business ideas that got pitched, and
1: the, and the thing is that I mean I think a lot of CEOs and I have some friends who are CEOs will will admit that the diversity thing is is difficult for them to to figure out, right? Oh yeah, and they I mean they're they're doing all kinds of other stuff, right? And all of a sudden they look at their HR and the HR is just hiring Caucasians. It's like, right. hey, what's what's going on? You know, and even your pastor Adam, he gets hired when he's not in the pulpit. To advise, and he's an African-American, to advise companies as to how to handle this whole thing.
0: Well, look, a lot of people will say, hey, I just can't find quality candidates that meet the criteria, and this platform is literally designed to make that point to, yeah. to counter that point yeah. you can find qualified candidates and jopwell is a great way to do it yeah what
1: uh, uh, headhunter basically yeah. i mean yeah that's and, he, and
0: he's written a book uh and then it's all about it's all about this topic it's all about why you need to know uh why you need to this. that's all in the show notes links to jopwell links to his book um and uh and, and I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear what he has to say
1: about and it's pretty clear that i mean we know this from data that a diverse company is a, is a more successful company no for question. so many different. And I went, I, 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 I was fascinated most importantly by this for the bottom line reason. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was so fascinated by this. I went online, right. And searched job, J-O-P well, job well. And I saw, you know, the, I saw all of the, um, all of the people who work there and it really, it's a wonderful melting pot of all kinds of people. Hey, they yeah. practice what they preach. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, anyway, so I'm looking forward to this, to, the interview and, and, uh, and since we are focused on the workplace today, uh, we're gonna do like a, we're gonna warm you guys up before we get to Gibb's interview um, with some first impression intel that Gibb has uh, has uh, harvested for us from some of our our pieces on the on the radio show. And I found this interesting, Gibber. That it takes only 27 seconds for somebody to form a first impression. This is according to a survey Incredibly of two thousand adults. They found that seven out of ten people decide how they feel about somebody before that person even says a word. They said in order to make a good first impression. There are. They found the most important factors from their study. You must smile. Mm -hmm. You must be a good listener. You must make eye contact, and then you must smell nice. Uh,
0: (laughs) How often? Now, how often does that stuff come up? How often does smell come up? I know we just had a pizza the
1: other day about dating. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you know what? We've also talked about this. Your your nose, the olfactory system goes right into your brain it is one of the most direct connections to your memory center in your brain to the the limbic system it is it is direct it's right into memories it's why smells are so powerful in bringing back memories when you when you smell your old house my garage smells a lot like my grandfather's garage every time after i mow the lawn about like uh after the the lawn is freshly mown about about 12 to 24 hours after that it smells exactly like my grandmother's my grandfather's garage and I can just I can put myself back there every single time.
1: It's great for your kids too. You know, I, I walked into your house the other day and I and I asked uh, asked your son, your two year old. I said, "Hey, what are you doing today?" And I figured he'd say, "You know, I'm playing with blocks or something." Mm-hmm. But he's, he's so unbelievably smart. He goes, "I'm helping Daddy with the grass." I said, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah." Yeah. I went to make sure you were, you, you were. I, it was the green the green grass. <laughs> I was concerned <laughs> hey now, for a minute. Hey yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, also, hey, from this uh, study, apparently, confidence is also a big thing in this 27 seconds that you have to form a first impression 83% of those surveyed said they're more likely to feel good about a person who seems confident and comfortable with themselves uh, but again 27 seconds for somebody to form a first impression
0: and look this works for this works for sales it works for going in for a, an interview and it also works for dating people make their first impression whether they're going to date you again uh, work with you again hire you all about that it happens in 20 20- seven seconds, which is incredible. And as far as the confidence thing goes, a lot of people struggle with this because what they, with, where they err is towards cockiness. And cockiness and confidence yeah, are not the same thing. Cockiness is, it, it smells like fake confidence. It smells like you're compensating for something. Confidence is much quieter and, uh, and much, much more subtle than cockiness. Cockiness comes a- a- across poorly.
1: I saw something decades ago that had such a big impression on me, and you can see it if you, if you go to YouTube, okay? And uh, it's, the way, <laughs> it's the way I walk out on stage now, and it, it, it helps me beat stage fright. It's the way I walk into a meeting now if, if, if there's enough, enough room because I'm a large guy. But just take a look at some old episodes of The David Letterman Show watch how when they david let him in watch how he walks out you've never seen an entertainer walk out to his stage the way he does really it's 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 str- i have to go back and look striding with purpose and you just get the feeling that it's going to be a great show here it it's happening yeah, it's happening it you're, confidence. you're you're yeah. watching the right show right now right 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 hey one more uh, one more quick uh, uh tip before we get to the interview is uh apparently right now gibber is the right time to look for work because hiring managers they are into it right now. This comes from Monster.com. You know they have uh, a pipeline to everything. Oh yeah. So they say they see more recruiters say they see more action in January than any other time, uh, and the reasons they give us are first of all, let's listen to this. Most of us spend our holidays with friends and family, right? Mm-hmm. We're reminiscing about the past. We're considering our future. We also, at the dinner table, end up answering a whole bunch of questions once we travel to see our family. Yeah. Hey, how are things? How's your job? Are you Are you happy in your job? Right. So it makes makes us more likely to think "Ah, you know maybe i'm not maybe it's a change yeah so our jobs are a huge part of who we are it's often the first thing we decide to change and also most employees tend to stick around through the holidays so they don't miss out on, on a christmas bonus right but when January hits, a lot of them take off.
0: Yeah, they get their Christmas bonus and they move on. Yeah. They get their yeah, equity, yeah. their stocks. So mature. now is the time. So now is the time. So basically what, what, what happens is all of these positions are now open because all these people have decided that they're going to leave. And now there's a lot of really great jobs out there for those of us that, that are wanting to, to switch industries. Maybe, maybe you're a plumber and somebody else is a tech CEO and you want to switch jobs. There you go. <laughs> this is, it happens right now <laughs> yeah, in January. Great example. <laughs> Very apt. All right. So uh, there you go. There you have it. A little bit of job intelligence. And if, uh, if you want to follow up with any of this information, again, uh, links to all of it in the show notes. But here is, is my, my interview with, uh, with Porter Braswell, founder of Jopwell. Porter Braswell, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so you've written a book, Let Them See You, The Guide for Leveraging Your Diversity at Work. Uh, you started a company. You're CEO, co-founder of Jopwell. Uh, it, it, which which we uh, will wh- wh- get to the mission of Jopwell in a second. I just have to tell you that when I first found out about this interview, I I thought Jopwell was a typo. I thought it was supposed to be Jobwell, and then I looked into it a little bit more and realized that it wasn't. And we'll get to. I want to hear why you call it Jopwell in a minute. But first, what is the mission of Jopwell?
2: So Jopwell is a career advancement platform built specifically for Black, Latinx, and Native American students and professionals. And as a platform, we connect this amazing community with professional opportunities. So we work with about 120 of the world's leading brands, and we sit in the middle of, of these two incredible communities to ensure that, that they are finding each other. And so for far too long, companies have said that they can't find this diverse talent, and we knew it was out there. I'm a, I'm a part of this community, and we decided to build a platform to address that pain point.
0: And why did you call it well? Let's just get that out. So we wanted
2: to create a word. We wanted to build a for-profit tech company. And when we look to you know these amazing organizations like Google or Yahoo or whatever the case may be, and you hear these names, it it it, it didn't mean anything by right. a def by a dictionary definition. But over right. time, you can kind of grow into a word that you create and we wanted to stay away from a lot of the amazing work that the nonprofits in our space have been doing for a while but they all have words that kind of pin them down to a very particular thing mm-hmm. and our vision is is pretty grand and so we want a word that we can grow into
0: right okay and that and that what uh, well we'll get to what the vision is in a second so how how did you see this need for for bridging that diversity hiring gap
2: absolutely so so i am a product of it. And what I mean by that is that I started my professional career really early in life in high school, where I went to a boarding school called Lawrenceville. And Morgan Stanley was offering a diversity internship program for high school students. Somebody told me that I qualify for this and I should apply. And I got lucky. And I started working there my junior and senior summers in high school. I went on to Yale and I played basketball there. And recognizing I wasn't going to the NBA, I decided to work in the summers and And stayed working in finance through a variety of different internship programs and opportunities um, and spent three summers interning at Goldman Sachs, all via diversity initiatives. And I started my career there. And I was there for three years buying and selling currencies. And while that was my day-to-day job, I would still assist with diversity recruiting efforts because I was passionate about it Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was a product of it. And so I, I saw I saw that despite not not Goldman Sachs, but a lot of organizations, regardless of the size of the company or the type of industry that they're in, that while they knew the value of having a more diverse workforce, they didn't have a very efficient way to go about it. And therefore, I decided to build the, the platform with my co-founder to address that pain point, D-
0: despite the fact that you were the product of, of what I would assume was a good process or was it were there problems with the process that got you to where you are?
2: Yeah. So I was very fortunate to be to to have access to the process that I that I fell into. Mm-hmm. What what troubled me is that I knew how rare that was. And I was incredibly fortunate to have an amazing educational background where opportunities came to right. me because right. of the schools I went to. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that that that's not normal. And that yeah. shouldn't be the way that you get access to professional opportunities. And therefore there needed to be a way to do it at at scale,
0: again, not if we're in a true meritocracy, right? And if we're in a true meritocracy, those kinds of opportunities should be available to literally everybody.
2: Agreed, and they haven't been historically. Right.
0: So, so you you decide to fill this gap with Jopwell. Let me ask you this: I, I understand why why individuals would want to have the equal opportunity. Why is this important for Why is this important for corporations? Why should they care? Why should they just Why should they not just go to the best schools? get the best people for what they can and and move on with their lives. Why why is this important for them?
2: Yeah, so diversity recruiting is a is a business imperative for organizations. It should be. It's been proven time and time again that having a more diverse workforce leads to bottom line success. I fundamentally believe and and I think it's I think it's um undeniable that if you're going to build disruptive products and and you want to be the leading organization for whatever industry it is, that you're in, you have to be, you have to be innovative. And so how can you not embrace diversity, diversity of thought, backgrounds, ethnicity, sexual orientation, a variety of different things that lead to those individuals having differing experiences come together in a conversation to think about problems in a different way. And so when companies, what I consider to be lazy recruitment to go to very uh, specific schools or um, only recruit from certain backgrounds, you're missing out on the best talent. And you can't say you're hiring the best talent if you're not considering everybody. Right. And 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 once you can consider everybody and you have a process that enables the best talent to make it down that bottom of your funnel, then you can be sure that you have a world-class organization.
0: Spoken, by the way, spoken like a true Goldman Sachs man, to say, you know, it it all all accounts for bottom line success. As, aside from like the social imperatives, you you lead with the bottom line success, which which I like.
2: Well, you know what? This that's for me. This is not a feel good story. It's right. it's 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 good for business. Right. And I think that the conversation around diversity gets lost in this kind of charitable mindset. Right. And it it truly um, weakens the argument for why diversity is important. And right. fortunately, McKinsey and BCG and others you know, have, have done a lot of amazing work where they've been able to prove the economic value that a more diverse workforce brings. And so this is this is a business imperative. And and um and it's no longer it, sh- it should no longer be in the camp of a feel good story. So that's why that's why I focus on that and drive home the bottom line success.
0: Well, and, and I think that's that's fundamentally important, too, because a, a lot like you said, a lot of people just view this idea of diversity as a, I mean, at, at best, as a way of creating equality in the world, and at worst, as a nuisance that, that is just brought on by, you know, people that want social justice and, and, um, and is not actually, as hurting business, right? A lot of people view this as, a, like you said, like a charity, and the, and the reality is that it, that's not the case. It's not charity. It is an important part of what our business, what a successful business landscape needs to look like.
2: A hundred percent, and and what's what's also um, obvious for those that are aware, the demographics are shifting, and so by sure. twenty forty, the majority of people in this country are going to be people of color, and so it, it, you know it's it's almost too late if you're starting now to start thinking about diversity initiatives. But the reality of it is that you're going to be servicing and 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 truly interacting with a demographic that's shifting, so your workforce needs to reflect that.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a that's a um, a fundamental reason that I th- a lot of people are missing is that again, like you said, this idea of uh, our, our workforces should look like the communities that they are working in, right? They sh- our workforces should mimic the the client base, um, and and if they don't, then you're missing you're missing then you're probably missing some potential client base or or a way of marketing. Um, and understanding your 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 users that you wouldn't otherwise that you wouldn't otherwise get absolutely 100 percent. okay so what is Jopwell's secret sauce why why is this not just a little tag that that gets sold to monster or like a little search algorithm add-on that gets put into your LinkedIn profile why why does Jopwell need to exist why would you found a company a tech-based company uh, to solve this problem and not and not work with some of those bigger players
2: yeah it's 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 because of what we were just discussing. This is a huge problem. There's forty four million black Latinx and Native Americans in college or in the workforce that are looking for full-time opportunities. That's a big market. And if it's just thought of as an add-on or a feature of of another opportunity, then you're missing the people are missing the point. and And so, it's a huge business opportunity to build a company that's entirely focused on this community. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've been able to find success because we can authentically, um, connect and understand and engage with this audience. That's becoming the, what America is looking like. And so, um, that's, that's a powerful thing to be able to kind of harness the power of this community. And again, being from this community, I, fully live it every single day. And so we're solving problems that I personally care about and that that I personally experience. And so it's, that's why we decided to build a business around that, around this particular demographic.
0: And uh, now corporate America is traditionally, you know, white shoe, white collar, white faced. How hard is it to get buy in from some of these big corporations that they need, they need to work on the other side with you. I understand uh, the need, I guess in the, in the diverse communities, um, the 44 million that you mentioned in that marketplace, but how do you get corporations to buy into this notion? Has that been hard?
2: Absolutely. So, that, so that's actually why I wrote the book. Let them see you and the reason why I wrote the book is because While I educate the reader About what they can be doing as an individual to be their best professional self and the book mm-hmm. is written to professionals of color It's also written for what I call diversity champions those Those in the workforce that are not diverse, but they want to have more empathy and and understanding for what their colleagues may be experiencing. And as a result of that, it's not enough just for people to be their best professional selves. Mm -hmm. The organizations have to be able to build cultures that allow people to bring their authentic selves to work every day. And it's the diversity champion's job to change the culture of the workforce because they're the majority. And that's exactly squarely re- the reason why I wrote the book, and why the audience is really for professionals of color and mm-hmm. for diversity champions that may not fall underneath that umbrella.
0: And what what was what do you feel like was your biggest win on the corporate side? Like, what was the biggest turnaround that you were able to convince a company that 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 a diversity initiative was important that wasn't necessarily there before?
2: Well, you know what's been really interesting about about our our uh, journey thus far as a company is that we are very uh intentional and selective about the organizations we choose to work mm-hmm. with because there's not enough time and we don't have enough resources to be able to make two cells to a company right. the first cell being why diversity is important right. and then the second sell use us right so we don't focus on those organizations where we have to sell why it's important we only focus on organizations that understand it and then we're selling why why they leverage job well so we've been very fortunate that um, we haven't had to do complete turnarounds within these organizations, but what we do do is that we accelerate their, their, their current processes that exist when it mm-hmm. pertains to recruiting more diverse folks, or we come in and we set up structures that enable them to jumpstart uh, their diversity recruiting efforts.
0: And in theory, and, and it's, it's actually done in the data as well, that effort, and, and using JobWell and increasing this, the rate at which diversity uh, initiatives are, are absorbed and are enacted, will then make those firms better positioned in the marketplace and the good old invisible hand of Adam Smith will will make those companies more successful and and have other companies be dropping away that don't embrace this. So it almost sells itself in that in that sense.
2: We've been fortunate that we've been able to work with really the world's leading brands. And now that we have them on the platform and they have been relationships with Dropable for multiple years now based on their success, um, we're in a very fortunate position where companies or seeking out to work with us. Uh, and so that, that, uh, that dynamic definitely is at play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so you've been working, you work at Jobwell for a while, you create this, this company and, and I am assuming it, it, it's, it starts to go well. Uh, why you've hinted at this a little bit, but I really want to understand why you felt the need, uh, to write the book. What conversation were you noticing you kept having to have, or, or what made you decide you needed to write to these, to these young professionals?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I decided to write Let Them See You because similarly to the reason why I started Jopwell, um, I believed that there needed to be a more scalable way to go about recruiting diverse talent. And that scalable way was creating a tech platform. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Now, as it pertains to the book, I do a lot of mentoring. And and I set aside time every two weeks to kind of devote my Friday to just purely mentoring the Jopwell community. And after Mm -hmm. doing that for three and a half years, it became very clear to me that the same insecurities and fears and um, uncertainties around being a professional of color and what that means to them to be in the workforce, it was shared amongst the community. And I decided that the way to kind of address these pain points at scale, the vehicle should be a book.
0: Right. And that that was
2: the reason why I decided to write it. And um, you know, I wish I had it when I was kind of in corporate America and, and thinking through the challenges and obstacles that I was facing.
0: I mean that and that that makes a lot of sense. So so your just again to, to reiterate the market for your book is is going to be uh, professionals, young professionals of color or any professional of color and then also um also people that that really have solid buy into the to diversity in the workplace. Diversity advocates you would say, right?
2: Diversity advocates, those that want to have more empathy and understanding for what professionals of color are experiencing so that they can change help change the culture within their workforce.
0: So you talk about mentoring uh and and making sure that the Jopo community is 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 well 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 nurtured, right? Uh do you have a a favorite story, a favorite anecdote of somebody that you were able to nurture or or just just something that illustrates the point of why what gets you up in the morning every day?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I I'm the product of being Um, of having amazing mentors and, and I like to think that my mentoring towards others has been, you know, successful. And one of the things that I do regularly, um, and it's a, it's a really humbling thing now to kind of be able to look back on it is that I've created a folder that says inspiration. And over the last three and a half years of building this business, I've been incredibly fortunate that the work that Joppo is doing and the work that I do personally on the side, um, we see true impact and we see stories of individuals with their life's change because they are getting these professional opportunities or they're being promoted and they're, they are relying on the resources that we're providing. And so I've been fortunate to receive letters and emails, um, basically weekly over the last three and a half years that I can kind of store aside. And when I kind of click into that folder and see these, you know, hundreds of notes, mm. it's, it's, um, it's made it all worth it, and it's really important to save, you know, those 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 outreaches. Um, we live in crazy times, and sometimes it's it's hard to be optimistic every single day. But when you see what impact you can make on an individual's life, it makes it all worth it. And as a tech company, you know, we get so focused on the thousands and the hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. and the millions, and you get focused on these large scale things. And it's hard to recognize like the individual in that. Right. And so it's just, it's just been incredibly humbling to be able to kind of look back on the individual and see what happens, you know, when, when you can take this very intentional approach to hopefully impact one's life.
0: Is there no one individual though that stands out? One individual story that like that that sits in your heart more than others?
2: Yeah. So the one that sits in my heart more than others is there was a student who was homeless, and while being a student, they were homeless, and they reached out to us and said, um, you know, they're going through really difficult times, and and that they are hopeful that with this opportunity that they recently applied for, for them to get an internship might change the fate of their of that person's. Um, personal kind of journey but more importantly his family's journey mm-hmm. and, and so once we got that note we went above and beyond and did everything in our power to make sure that, that this particular candidate was more than prepared for what they were about to do and um, long story short ended up getting an internship at a bank and doing incredibly well and uh, that type of outreach when we got that when we were about four employees so we were mm-hmm. it, it, we were sitting in a room and we all kind of had this conversation around you know, it's not scalable to have a conversation on a one to one level. Right. We're building a tech company, but we have to do this. And um, I, I, just to hear the perseverance of somebody fighting homelessness while being in school, it's, it's a uh, it's something that I couldn't relate to. And it's something that made the four of us truly rally around mm-hmm. and do everything in our power. And that was, you know, it, it, to kind of start the business with a story like that was yeah. was pretty impactful.
0: Well, I think I also think I, I agree with you. Stuff like that especially is uh, is just not scalable for for any large corporation. But having stories like that and taking the time to do something like that is foundational to remind yourself of the mission of your company. I mean, I, I think it would be great if uh if you know, <laughs> I don't know that that Sergey Brin's going to sit down or Larry Page is going to sit down and and literally do a search for, for information for somebody, but, but at, the, at its core, organizing the information for the world is what Google wants to do. You want to make these connections. I think spending some time where you actually do the mission of a scaled company is, is really important. That's why you know, the CEO of, um, of Disney always, I don't know if you read the book Disney Wars, but the CEO of Disney always has to be Mickey Mouse for a day. Uh, to understand the impact that the Mickey Mouse brand has on the people that come, the kids that come through the doors. And I think yeah. a story like what you just mentioned is your version of being Mickey Mouse for the day for Disney. You know, is spending the time really Absolutely. engaging with who, whom you're impacting.
2: Well, we actually went through um, an accelerator program called Y Combinator. Yeah. And their whole thesis a, is not to do just things that don't scale. Program,
0: The world's most famous <laughs>
2: business accelerator program, by the way. It, it, was, the most exclusive. it was an amazing opportunity. It was an amazing opportunity, and we're very fortunate for it. And the thing that we took away from it um, was definitely doing things that don't scale. And so their whole mantra is that before you can even get to scale, you have to do those things that aren't scalable. So every, you know, the Airbnb story, the founders went and took um, high-quality uh, photos within the apartments that they were renting while they were going through YC so that the community could start to understand post-high-quality photos. Right. You know, just it's like amazing things that these companies that are, you know, legendary in size and and, and and story now to think back to what they had to do when they first launched it. You know, it, it does help make our our story of picking up the phone literally and talking to almost every candidate that signed up for the platform for the first like two months and getting to know them and know them by name and it's now still tracking them because we still feel very close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's part of the fun of starting a business.
0: Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what, what has been the biggest, you sound, I I put it this way. You sound like a, um, I I can hear, I can hear the investment banker in, in your voice. I can hear the, uh, I can hear the years of corporate America in, in your voice. I can also hear just how unbelievably passionate you are about what you do. How do you manage starting a company is incredibly time consuming. How do you manage the time? Like what is a day in your life? Like where, where, where you're starting a bit, you have this business, you're writing a book. How do you manage your time? So take me through a typical uh, Porter Braswell day or week.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's, <laughs> it's managing t- my, managing time is by far the most difficult thing that I have that I that I experience. And, and at, at a very high level, my time is devoted to my wife and I got married in September. And so first and foremost, she's my thank you. Thank you. And, I, and it's been awesome to make her my my top priority. And then business is my second priority and being able to kind of categorize it like that because life and time is all about what your priority is. Mm. And so, um, for me, what that looks like is I wake up in the morning pretty early around generally around like six o'clock or so in the morning. And, um, my wife does a similar thing and she's up and we'll either go to the gym or we'll stay in and kind of uh, turn on the TV and watch the news and just get our minds right for the day, have a conversation um, and Start the day together in some capacity. and I think that's really important thing. Um, I then generally take take my morning shower That's where I do my best thinking and I right. really start to think through what I'm gonna do for that day I showers to me. I take two like showers to me are my favorite thing in the world. I agree hundred uh, percent. It's uh <laughs> and, and it really helps me kind of uh, Process and think through and be you know present for for what I'm gonna have to do that day uh, get on the subway come downtown I'm listening to pretty um, soft music just something that allows me to kind of again get my thoughts going but but still kind of uh, not have to like hit the harsh reality of the day in in my face um, Have you tried Brainfm F- Have you tried Brainfm
0: have you tried Brain I FM? have not. I it's, need to. I'm a big fan of it. They, they're not a sponsor, but I talk about them all the time. It is a, um, it's all of this music that is designed to give you different brain states. So their focus, they have like focus, meditation, relax, sleep, but their focus one is incredible and it gets you into flow and you just have to listen for 15 to 30 minutes um, and, it, and the effects last afterwards. So sometimes on my drive to work, I'll listen and get into focus and get into flow and as soon as I get into work, I will be in flow. Just, I'm just putting that out there. Check it out, brain.fm. Awesome. I'm a big fan of it. But you talk about listening to soft music. It's, it's basically just soft music. Keep going. So you get into work.
2: I'll, I'll, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to check that out.
0: Um, so
2: I get into work. Start, I start going over my emails. Maybe that goes back to my corporate America days. I, I like having a clean inbox. I don't mm-hmm. like having things kind of linger mm-hmm. over me. So go through my email. And then I just map out throughout the course of a day. I write down in this little journal. What am I going to do today? What do I need to get done? And I prioritize it by what's going to make money. Hmm. And again, maybe it goes back to my to my corporate America days. That but is I 100% my an eye
0: banking uh, way of, of looking at well,
2: you know, prioritization. you know what? The way I look at it, but the way I look at it is that I fundamentally believe that in order to make impact, Jopple has to make money. Totally. Because if we can't make money and keep the lights on, then we can't make the impact. So it's incredibly important for me to set the tone as the CEO totally of what's going to keep the lights on, so that we can do our work.
1: I,
0: I, and so, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's immoral. I just, I just think that's definitely like <laughs> a, a lot of eye bankers will say we do have a rubric for calculating value of people's time, and that rubric is money in, money out. That's an eye banking eye uh, banker's way of looking at it, and it's a very uh, stoic way of looking at it as well. But so, keep going. Well, <laughs> you know what.
2: I, I've never done investment banking, so I have no idea. Oh, I'm, I, I'm gonna but, take your word for that. But
0: one. is it but weren't you on a <laughs> currency desk? That's very different. Being oh, in uh, the I,
2: I markets would, is incredibly different. I would put that under
0: I would put that under the whole umbrella <laughs> of iBanking, but sorry, yes. But you were I mean uh uh you worked for an investment bank. But it just happened correct, to be you correct, just didn't so. do the actual i banking. But still, but the culture is in you.
2: <laughs> so, the, the culture of of getting things done. Um, uh, and, and, and in being accountable is basically how I've been able to map over and figure out how to build a business. And so it goes into the course of my day still. And then once I kind of write down, you know, the things of my priorities, then I just head down and I start grinding and getting them done. Mm -hmm. Now I walk around the office, I do a lot of meetings um, I like to block off time where I actually host my meetings. I like people coming to the meetings with very specific agendas mm. um, and, and, and having very direct follow-ups. Um, and so I, I like to be very intentional about my day and how I'm spending it. And then I typically leave the office. I get into the office around eight, eight I'm leaving the office around seven o'clock, and, um, get home, have dinner with my wife and um, probably watch a Netflix show and, uh, you know chat about the day and and I get back after it the next morning and that's it's so um, like my typical
0: flow but you don't you, so do you you don't work in the evenings you don't you don't burn the midnight oil no how
2: important no. is that now can, that my wife is my first priority you know it, it's incredibly important it's yeah. it, it's it can be an all-consuming thing and it was an all-consuming thing for me until i got married to be honest and i've made a conscious decision that when i'm home and she's home we're going to be together, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll like before I go to bed, check my email, make sure there's nothing urgent I have to reply to.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it's incredibly important to be able to have time away from work.
0: Where did you learn the compartmentalization skills that you're talking about? Because it sounds like each block of your time is very specifically oriented, and and you try really hard to not let other things bleed into it. So where where did you learn those skills?
2: Yeah. I think it comes back to being an athlete. And so I grew up an athlete. I played basketball in you know, Division One, and, and for me, being a student athlete, you don't have time to waste on anything. Mm-hmm. You want to be a student. You want to be a great student. You want to be a great athlete. You want to go out and socialize. You want to still experience what life is like as a, as a college student. And so you have, you have so much you want to get done. And such a finite amount of time that you have to block – you have to be very intentional about how you're spending that time. And so that – to a point where it annoys my wife (laughs) is how I am as a person where I don't like down periods. I don't like things not to be planned. I like to know exactly what I'm going to do and when I'm going to be doing it. And and then what's interesting is that when it's not like that, I'm the exact opposite. Where I don't want to do anything, I just want to watch Netflix all day long, right. watch football all day long, right. and not see sunlight. Right. And I'm very opposite my,
0: in my and how I interact with, with life. You're either times. you're either on or you're off. There's no exactly. there's no gray. Uh, there's no. Okay. What is the biggest lesson you've learned as a tech founder uh, in, in in the process? What was what was the thing that if if you had known at the start would have changed would have changed everything?
2: Absolutely. I, I think the biggest thing I've learned in this whole journey is that there is no right way to go about building a tech company. And it was very intimidating to build a tech company because I'm non-technical. And so <laughs> yeah.
0: to, now, neither was Steve know. Jobs, by the way. <laughs> neither was Steve Jobs. Just gonna put that out there. <laughs>
2: Well, people throw this, you know, these terms around at you and and especially when it comes to like raising capital between convertible notes, safes, equity rounds, being diluted, um, uh, learning how to set up a business structure, being a tech company, what are you building your platform on talking about scale? All all this all this stuff gets thrown at you and that's what keeps people away. Because mm-hmm. you're like, How am I gonna how am I gonna do that? Or even understand it? Right. And what I've learned as my biggest eye-opening thing throughout this entire journey, which is which is the course of life, you learn and you figure it out. And I remember being in like in an in, a, in a elementary school and thinking, how am I going to open a locker in middle school?
0: And I remember <laughs> being like,
2: getting to middle school and being like, oh my god, I can open a locker, that's fine. And I remember thinking to myself, well, in high school, the teacher doesn't write the homework down on the on the on the whiteboard, so what am I going to do? How am I going to know what my homework is? And all of a sudden, you get to high school and you're like, all right, cool. I can, I, I can, I can do the homework. And then you're like, college? Like, what? How am I, how am I going right. to survive in college? And, you know, so it's like every part of your life, you you get intimidated by what's to come. And it's the same thing of starting a business. But then like every other phase in life, you just do it. And, and you know, if you've been successful at things in the past, you shouldn't believe that this period of your life you're not going to be successful in. And so if I can go back, I would have told myself, calm down. It's all going to be okay. There's no need for... You know, I'm glad I had the anxiety maybe the maybe it's the anxiety that has enabled me to be successful right um
0: some survivors bias there but,
2: <laughs> but <laughs> that's true that's true but um, I think that's been the biggest eye opening thing you 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 have to be able to embrace the unknown and be excited by that so
0: yeah all right well i, I look thank you so much porter braswell uh i i I cannot thank you enough for your time and and for the work that you're doing and uh uh, I just, yes. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. And, and what a, you know, we talk about when you're trying to find the right job, trying to find the right thing to do with your life. What a great purpose-driven idea yeah. this is. And again, it's one of those things where you're like, it's like when, I don't know, when YouTube came out or, or, or some of these uh, startups that we mm-hmm. see, they're like, how come I didn't think about that? What a, what a great idea. And, uh, I'm, I'm assuming if uh, if people looking for work want to be a part of this, they can just go to the website, I, right? I
0: think so, yeah. And it, again, it was driven by his own experience, his own his own desire to, um, to, to see some stuff that he saw go wrong go right. So thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, links to everything in the show notes. If you like Intelligence for Life, the podcast, please let us know. John is on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. Uh, we are on there all the time. We're doing Facebook Lives all the time. We're having conversations with you when you comment. Also on Twitter, at John Tesh, uh, on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard at Gib Girard on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any recommendations for people you want to see us or hear us talk to on the podcast, let me know there. I would try to respond to every single thing. Uh, sometimes it gets a little much and I can't, but I try to get to every single message or or post. Um, yeah, make I, sure
1: you spread it around to your friends, too. I think that's great. Yes, you
0: know? so if you do like the show, please share it with your friends and go ahead and rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We cannot do this without you. So please tell your friends about it. We appreciate you. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening.
1: And if you have a basketball, now would be the time to start dribbling.
0: Yeah, just in, in line with the with the beat. Like, that's how you wrote the song, right? Yeah By by (laughs) trying to imagine how long If I'm trying to do that right now And yeah, it kind of has like a little samba feel to it There we go Good night, everybody